Welcome guys, you're watching another episode of Future Health with Dr. MJ. All right, we are talking about Mars travel. Get your ass to Mars. Who remembers that iconic line by Arnold Schwarzenegger from Total Recall? Um, you know, since childhood, I feel like we've been programmed to desire to go to Mars at some point. Like this was the inevitable next step or the inevitable frontier that we're eventually going to get to. And we've been programmed to think of it as like, this is what we're doing next. This is the next thing for humanity. We've all been programmed, you, me, and everyone else in this country. Since the 60s, we've been inundated with movies that remind us that we need to get to the red planet. And Mars travel isn't even central to our culture. Hell, there's even a theory that ancient Egyptians may have traveled to Mars, given that there have been pyramids found there that align perfectly with the location, size, and shape of those found on Earth. But that's a whole different show. Will humans of any nation get to Mars in our lifetime? Is it feasible? Is it possible? Well, I'm going to tell you why I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. The major challenges are actually in the environment of space itself. It's a mess up there. We've launched so much junk, like mostly dead satellites and pieces of satellites, caps, lenses that are moving at speeds that even a piece of one of them could puncture a ship. On the last check, there were like 17,000 large and over 400,000 small objects orbiting around Earth, traveling at insane speeds of about uh, 20,000 miles per hour or something like that. Spaceships are protected from the smaller things, but not the larger ones. A crash into a satellite could completely destroy a ship. Then there's the radiation. Remember, our planet is a safe cocoon for us as humans. There's an atmosphere, a magnetic field, and other structures on Earth that protect us from the sun. We're good here. Once you leave the atmosphere, there's no protection. That radiation will not only give you cancer, but also cataracts, Alzheimer's disease, and all kinds of other issues. Astronauts who come back from space are messed up, like seriously messed up between muscle wasting, circulation issues, and depression, mental illness that they suffer from up there, you know, just all kinds of issues. Your body systems are completely off when you're in space for a while because our bodies are supremely adapted to the gravity here on earth. Our systems rely on it, not the simulated microgravity on a ship or at a space station or even on another planet. And Mars gravity, well, you know what, we'll get into Mars stuff of actually settling on the planet in another episode. But we still haven't figured out how to simulate real gravity on a vessel. There's so many issues that we don't yet have solutions for. But okay, so you got a few million dollars and you still want to buy a ticket on Elon Musk's commercial flight to Mars in 2026? Okay, how long do you think it's going to take to get there? A few days? A few weeks? Well, during an opposition year, when Mars and Earth's orbit brings them closest together about every two years or so, it could take as little as about 150 days or as much as 300 days when we're not in an opposition year. Without current technology, I'm talking. 
Although the Mariner 7 probe did, that's back in the 1969, did actually make it there in 131 days. So, the, and of course, that was during an opposition year. But that was also not a manned mission. That was just a probe, a very lightweight probe, right? We're looking at at least five to six months, the very least, right now. But if we could take advantage of a wormhole, maybe learn to bend space and time to create a bridge, then maybe we get there a lot faster. There's even been rumors of jump rooms here on Earth where Mars travel is instant, just like that. But we're not doing conspiracy theories today. I'm going to stick to the facts and get back to health. What do you think being in space for that amount of time does to your mind and emotions, let alone your physical health? Well, here's my experience. When I was contracting for NASA a couple years ago, it really helped me to learn a lot about the great mental challenges that astronauts have to deal with during long stays on the ISS, the International Space Station. Scott Kelly, for example, um, he stayed up in space for 340 days. That was the record, 340 straight days on the ISS. And while he was up there, he suffered intense loneliness and isolation. In our astronaut nutrition program, where I was um, doing some research for them along with my students, we were tasked with helping biologists at the Kennedy Space Center find leafy greens that could be grown easily and quickly in a microgravity environment, with the help of packs that help push the water into the soil, of course. But it wasn't just for eating, okay? So here's the mental health part. Um, because tending to a small garden, uh, it not only provided fresh food, but it also gave them something to do, something to keep their minds occupied, something to look after and care about. That was really, really important to them. When we interviewed them, actually, the astronauts said that they craved that type of activity and interaction with something living, anything that was alive. In later episodes, I'll definitely get more into the science of interacting with plants for mental and emotional health, but getting back to this. In my opinion, the average person is not getting to Mars anytime soon, given the challenges that we face in just the travel portion of a mission like this. Think about it. Commercial flights uh, carry regular average people who have not been properly trained for space travel. <laughs> have you heard about the stories of passengers on commercial domestic flights going insane over things like drinks and seats? Now, what happens if someone freaks out on a spacecraft? I remember being on a flight where somebody was in the back uh, screaming because they wanted the window open to get some air. Like they just completely lost it. And this happens on so many flights. I'm sure you've been on one where a passenger just freaked out over nothing. But what do you do then when somebody freaks out on a trip uh, to Mars? So you're going to cram a bunch of privileged rich people into a small space with none of their creature comforts? for 150 to 300 days? No, I don't think so. Can you imagine being stuck with Karens and Kens for that long? Seriously, can you imagine that? My thing is smells. Oh my gosh, what if somebody has gas or bad breath? A smell like that stuck in a craft could literally kill you. So I don't think I would be on that trip because that would just send me over the edge. No, we all need to go to sleep, like Fifth Element style sleep. Y'all remember when Bruce Willis took that flight to Flotsam when he won that, um, that contest, right, to go see the concert? And the flight attendant turned on the sleep gas on the craft? Yeah, like that. 
<laughs> which is not so far off because we've been doing experiments on um, something called torpor-induced hibernation. If people were in a cold-induced sleep for a few months while maybe a robot takes care of them, like that movie with Matt Damon that had came out recently, I think it was Matt Damon and Matthew McConaughey, and they were going on some flight, but there was a robot that was basically tending to their needs while they were sleeping. But if we could do that, then the, cal the caloric needs uh, would be reduced, and so would the chances of space insanity, um, you know, from being awake. <laughs> but even if we were to refine that process, um, those waking from it would most likely suffer some circulation issues, muscle mass wasting, confusion, etc. It's just not feasible at the moment. And I know they're doing more experiments with it and they're refining the process. I think NASA even had a study where they were offering people money to, to just sleep for seven weeks and lay down in the bed and sleep for seven weeks. So, But there's a lot of problems with it. People have suffered heart problems and I think even stroke uh, from, that, from those experiments or similar experiments. Until then, until we get it right, I believe that we need much, much, much more time to work this out. We're not getting there anytime soon, at least not with regular average people. Maybe astronauts like Scott Kelly and uh, some of the others that have been up on the ISS for a really long time or, or long spacewalks and things like that, maybe they would be able to get there, but I don't think the average person. I mean, it sounds great, and I know we're all itching to get beyond our mother planet, but it doesn't make sense yet. But hey, good thing Elon Musk is advertising it as a one-way ticket. <laughs> so, in hyper-healthy, let's talk about coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 is um, something that's been around for quite some time now. I remember it really gained popularity around 20 years ago. And I remember reading about it and also learning that it's something that your body makes naturally. It's pretty much an antioxidant. Younger people have a lot more of it but it reduces as you age, just like most of the other nutrients in your body. So we know that coenzyme Q10 has been shown to be helpful in certain conditions, like heart conditions. It seems to improve the symptoms of congestive heart failure, along with some other nutrients, but it does seem to improve people's condition. People with diabetes uh, seem to get some benefit, like lowering the amount of, um, of LDL um, cholesterol, which is the bad cholesterol, right? And just overall lower cholesterol levels. It seems to help with people who are on statins for their cholesterol. So uh, usually the doctor will prescribe some coenzyme Q10 if you're on cholesterol-lowering medications or red rice yeast and things like that because there's muscle weakness that happens when you're on those medications. So this seems to help out a lot with it. And then um, there's migraines. So coenzyme Q10 seems to decrease uh, the frequency of migraines and the severity of them. And then lastly is physical performance. It's involved in energy production. And so because of that, it seems to help improve physical performance, but mostly in older people. So there's a lot of research that's still going on with coenzyme Q10. I'm going to say healthy with this one because I do recommend it for a lot of people I work with, especially older adults and those who are on those cholesterol lowering medications and other meds. 
It does seem to protect them from the side effects while also reversing some of the other damages caused by their conditions. So just check with your doctor and follow instructions for taking it and do your research. That's the number one thing. Do your research and find out if it's right for you. And if you're young, I would say that if you are a, somebody that's under 40, you probably don't need to take it. Uh, but again, do your own research on it. And that's it. That's my show for the day. I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening.